0: Welcome back for another episode of the Leader of Learning podcast. This is where educators can come to find inspiration to transform education through effective leadership. I'm your host, Dan Krinas. Let's get started.
1: The World Economic Forum, they do these like top 10 lists. Well, nine out of 10 of those skills, every single one fits perfectly into any type of media.
0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode where I have another amazing guest. Bruce Reicher is an educator from New Jersey doing some amazing things. And I'll talk in a second about uh, when I met Bruce because I think it's actually kind of special. And um, I want to tell that story. But even before we go there, Bruce, welcome to the show. And uh, before we we chat it up, which actually we've been doing for, for a while now before we even hit record. But if you could let the audience know who you are, where you are and what you do.
1: Uh, sure. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Uh, my name is Bruce Reicher. I've been teaching for over 25 years. And right now I'm a technology teacher in a middle school, grade six through eight. And I have uh, digital leadership in sixth grade, coding in seventh grade. Eighth grade is video production where the kids put on a live TV show when we're in school every single day. Now it's been like a weekly show. And along with teaching in school, I do a lot of PD, a lot of ed camps, Google certified and Wakelet certified, we video certified, all these you know different things, and I really just like learning new things. And uh, part of what we're going to talk about today too is the it's really fertile now. Like I could be in all of these different groups and even different countries and click a link and be in there with the group and not travel any place except into my child's playroom where I am now. So uh, I really like learning new things, and then. Bringing those things back to the classroom to students and testing them all out and make it better and better and have them really uh, create original uh, projects and not necessarily do worksheets at all, but you know, super creative things uh, in the classroom, whatever grade level uh, I'm teaching, so they could uh, you know do great projects.
0: Yeah, you know. Uh, before I go anywhere, because you, you just gave me a couple of great uh, things to chat with you about too. But before I do, you know, I said that I would talk about how we met, and here's why. I think that it's kind of special that you come onto the show, and I've already had uh, another sort of special person on the show, AJ Bianco, uh, and and the reason I say that is because. I became a, quote unquote, connected educator in in around the year 2016. Uh, It was when I was becoming an instructional, full time instructional coach at the middle school where I was in Connecticut. And uh, I really wanted to do more, you know, like give back to the educational community in in more ways than just supporting the teachers in my own building. And I wanted to really grow and develop myself as an educator. So I reached out, I got really more active on Twitter. uh, And it was the spring or just before the springtime, it was March of 2016, when I attended EdCamp Southwest Connecticut. Uh, And it was probably one of my first sort of in person events that I attended as a connected educator and I wasn't even connected enough to really know too many people but the very first table that I sat at it, it included you and and Dr. Adam Schoenbart and AJ Bianco and I think uh, you guys kind of knew each other already but I think we all hit it off pretty well and what I think is even more special is how we've we've stayed in touch and um, still you know are, are well connected and, and support each other so uh, I think it's it's kind of cool that we've come full circle I guess in some ways.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, like the ed camps are an unbelievable example of passion that teachers have, all educators have, not just teachers, that people go there on a Saturday, they're from nine to three, they get to pick the classes they want to go to, they make the session boards, and you've been through plenty of them now too. The vibe at those camp, ed camps is so different from going to a conference where as great as the keynote speaker is all the time, they might not be speaking to you directly directly. And then you might go to one or two sessions, three sessions, you know, and then that's it. And um, I think the EdCamp is just a really special place to unconference that the people that go there present. And I went through the same type of thing. The first EdCamp I went to, you know, you don't know anyone. You don't even know what the session board is, like basically, you know, how it runs. Uh, But I really got like adrenaline from it, from learning new things, picking up all of these different tools that you could talk to people there, not only taking the classes, but as you started the story with too, all of the side conversations of meeting people and then whether it's virtually in your PLN or in person, um, you know, to start making your own, you know, network for that. And, you know, I would say 99, probably even a hundred percent, and especially at camps, like people are there to learn. They want to go back, they want to teach, and then they want to share. And for me, those are like, the, I try to keep it simple. Those three things, just learn, go back and teach. Luckily I have classroom sixth, seventh, and eighth graders and then start uh, sharing things out. And, you know, the fourth part, maybe repeat, you know and just keep, you know, doing those things. And if you have the thirst to learn, uh, you know those are those are great places, uh, you know, to go. And if I remember that particular ed camp too like ed camp New Jersey, there's like three or 400 people which is great in its own right. But the ed camp Southwest, even the Adam Schoenbar camp he did in Manhattanville college. Sometimes it's better if it's smaller.
0: It's funny, too, because I actually talk about coming full full circle. I work in that district now. So uh, that's interesting, too. But, you know, and and again, I think like you said, in terms of being a quote unquote connected educator, um, that doesn't mean you need to connect with hundreds or thousands of people if it's on twitter whatever follow however many people you want if it's at an ed camp go to however big of an ed camp you want go to however many sessions you want but it's it it, it sometimes it's more about those you know smaller sidebar conversations and and those kind of um more personal connections that you make with people that are perhaps more meaningful and maybe more long lasting and and um, just a better connection in terms of how you do it.
1: See, and I think people personally get caught up like in the numbers and we were talking before, we both like radio guys in college, working at college radio stations. It's the same thing I thought like when I was doing that, there could be one person listening in their dorm room, a hundred people, a thousand people, UConn could be in the final championship. There could be thousands of people, but you should be doing your best. And regardless of what the numbers are. So in an ed camp, sometimes I've had two people, three people show up in a session. You know what? It's better than 50 people in a session because you get to sit down with them and go through everything. And uh, likewise in social media. I know people get caught up. I have this many followers. I'm following this many people. I mean, I think it's terrific to have a goal to do it. Um, but you know they're they're just numbers and. I mean you're it's going the same thing. Learning and sharing, it's, it's it's all good.
0: Yeah, sorry to cut you off. You know it's the same That's thing okay. with the podcasting. Uh, I am no Matt Miller who was on the show recently with over a million downloads on the show that he does with Casey Bell. I get a good amount of of downloads, sure, but um, I, I tell people all the time, and it sounds weird, and and if I were you know, Joe Schmo on Twitter, or if I'm listening to another podcast that I was a guest on, it would sound really strange, but I'm my number one fan. And I say that because it almost doesn't matter to me how many people listen to the show. I mean, I love anyone who listens, and I love it even more when I hear, you know, feedback about. People listening and sharing on social media, but um, I do it for me first and foremost. I I talk to people that I really want to talk to, and and we talk about topics that I really want to learn more about, and that's it. And and it not only makes me feel comfortable to to do it and and feel confident as a content creator, um, but I do feel like I am giving back to the education community at the same time. So it's, it's like a win win, really.
1: I mean, a big turning point for me too is um, I was at this Edscape a long time ago, Eric Sheninger's high school in uh, New Milford, New Jersey, and they would have it every year. You would go to it, and this is a long time ago, probably ten years ago. Vicki Davis, the cool cat teacher, was like the keynote speaker, and I tell you that day, like things changed for me because she said, "Don't, don't make excuses in your school. Don't be like this person's not letting me do that. That person's not letting me do this." Like you know, do your job well. And then you want to go to ed camps, you want to be involved in all these things, then just be involved in them. And basically, you know, put your focus on that instead of all the things you can't do. Look at all the things you can do. And I know distance learning, the classroom learning definitely has changed. But I also think moving forward, the PD learning and the opportunities have changed so much. Um, I'm in a group, um, uh, ed Camp, the um, Puffy edu where people meet at starbucks or barnes and noble and stuff i've been going for four or five weeks to ed camp jersey shore i live two hours from the jersey shore even though i live in jersey but now i go to the group on zoom i'm there every sunday i could learn from them so you know i always go back though to the vicki davis thing of you know before that it's easy to fall into the trap you know this person's not nice to me or some negative things or whatever but it's really it's true in the end you control your outlook you control what you're doing and, you know, just stay positive. And if you want to learn, um, I, I I just go and do it. And honestly, a lot of people maybe in my district, if you ask them what a PLN was, if you ask them what Ed Camp was, they might not know. And that's okay. You know, they're with their families on the weekends. Um, and I, I'm with my family too, but I chose to put in time to do it just for the same reasons you were saying. You know, I get adrenaline from like learning new things, making new friends, go back to school and say, hey, you know, today we're going to. Go on this map and if you click on this dot, we could be in a three sixty in the middle of Times Square and like do cool things that you learn well, from the weekend. Let me,
0: let me ask you about that. You know, I, I'm always super intrigued about uh people who embrace change and have that growth mindset. I just defended my dissertation on on a very similar topic and actually last episode uh, I spoke to two of my former middle school teachers who are, are toward the end of their career now and and I don't want to make you feel old but you know you've been you've been around the block and you still have that that fire in terms of being a lifelong learner and embracing change and like you just said again you just want to learn new things and go back to your school and implement them can you put into words or think about like why that means so much to you and, and sort of how you still have that passion you do?
1: I think originally, and we shared a little of this before the show, I got an elementary, master's in elementary ed, taught in fourth grade and sixth grade. The sixth grade was in elementary school. And basically, you were teaching nine or ten subjects, which was great. You're with a group of 20, 25 kids, and you became super close to them. Uh, but when I made that change over to be a technology teacher in a school, um, as opposed to a classroom teacher, then my learning just like rocket ship, you know, like now I had the whole day to, you know, go on the MacBook Pro at the time or whatever the computer was. And instead of just using it in one period, maybe in a social studies lesson, now I was the person they were coming to. I worked 10 years in an elementary computer lab to infuse all these projects, let their curriculum really drive it. And then for me to think, what else could I do with it? And really like the nature of the beast, you don't want to be a technology teacher if you don't like change because I I am old, but kind of when I started in 1998, believe it or not, the computers had floppy disk drives. Like there there was no network, but you know what? From floppy disk drives to being network to, um, you know, the computers getting smaller, getting faster, even in my own school, we've gone through Microsoft Office to iPads. Now we're on Chromebooks. So I think the nature of the business for everyone, but especially, you know, a technology person is going to be embrace that change because it's going to change whether you want it, you know, to or not. And I always think of, there's a commercial where a guy a long time ago bought like a T three computer and he has it in the back of his car and he's all excited driving at home. Then he looks up at the billboard and like the T four is out that day. It's like the minute you buy something, it's obsolete already. So things are changing so quickly. But, yeah, I I embrace that, that I want to learn new things. And if I wanted to stay the same, which I could have, I could have stayed in fourth or sixth grade and traditional math, learn your times tables, which you do need to learn. A lot of it was a lot more rote of skills that you really needed instead of, you know, creative projects. And I think that's what drew me towards it of not to really create things with students. And all of my focus is on that. And I, I super appreciate like elementary school teachers because I was there. And let me tell you, teaching nine or 10 subjects is is not easy and you can't be an expert at everything. And even though I knew some of the technology well, well, I had those other eight subjects still to teach every single day. So I think just because of the time factor, um, you know, your learning stays at a certain level.
0: I really appreciate that. You know, again, I just, I have this thing about growth mindset and, and embracing change and, and you're all about that. And, um, you know, I think what you didn't say, but what I interpreted your message as is you really need to love, you know, you have to have that passion for the the content that you're teaching. Um, and, and I think that a lot of teachers have that, um, but I, I wonder sometimes uh, why then maybe some people are still resistant. But anyway, that's a, a different conversation. Uh, what I did want to ask you about as, as sort of a follow up also is, you um, so you, you you made that switch earlier in your career over from elementary where you said you were teaching all those subjects at the same, you know, on the same day to the same group of kids all day and you wanted something different. So you made that happen for yourself. You embraced that change. Now you're you're focused on some, you know, you have a you have a sharper focus on some more specific subjects and Uh, I hope you don't mind me saying, I think you've been somewhat of a pioneer in this regard because I don't know how many schools were doing this sort of stuff when you started doing it at your school. You're doing media and broadcasting and TV and radio, and it's some really awesome stuff. Can you talk about like where, how far you've come and and what you have going on now?
1: Yeah, I mean, where I started, I, I was in Enfield Street School in sixth grade and had the kids take the phone literally like in the office and write out a script for good morning and the letter day, and what specials there were that day. And, you know, just started at, you know, at that level. And then um, as school started doing, getting legacy equipment from cable um, stations, I was lucky enough uh, in New Jersey to go to a school where they had a program already running. And luckily for me, and a really super important point is there is no right way to do this, but luckily it was a full-time class with eighth grade students. So it wasn't a club. It wasn't a couple kids coming before school. Like this is your class for a marking period to produce the show. And now even I have three sections at once. Two sections are making the content. One section, you know, is doing the show. And it fell right into my passion of doing radio, doing sports casting, media, and now you know through teaching it. And I've kind of evolved from you know I did the script as PowerPoint for six or seven years when I had to. And now with Chromebooks, we have everything paperless, everything's at Google Slides, we have different slide decks for the show. Um, And I just like it because your your imagination could go any place, so whatever we could create, whatever we could think of, and with my teaching hat on, I'm really always thinking too about like workflow, that right, like this year, there's 155 kids in eighth grade, every single one will take this class and be on the show for 14 days. And after the seventh day, they switch jobs so on my teaching end, like I have to make the workflow super tight so we could do the show live every single day, have the kids ready to go and, uh, you know, and do the best that they can. Um, and it really it has been terrific. In the school where I'm at, they never had this. They started building it for a long time, like for eight or 10 years, they started getting pieces, never put it together and came there 13 years ago. And luckily, the first six months there, we really, the principal was terrific, said, we don't have to keep the studio in this room. It's built in a classroom. Do you want to move it? Do you want to knock down walls? Like think outside the box. We kept it there in the long run. But I think having four to five months just to plan it out, even 13 years later, is huge of that we're still doing it instead of, you know, come in in August and now two weeks later, you're doing the TV show is very difficult if you're walking, you know, into into that spot. Um, and then two years ago, we upgraded everything. And now we could do green screen and a couple other little picture in picture things. So I just like to tweak it and keep improving it and uh, make it as best that you can.
0: Well, here's what I love about it, and, and I guess to let the listeners in on a little bit of the behind the scenes you know, podcast making, uh, Bruce and I had about a half an hour conversation at least before we even hit record here, and uh, one of the things that I love that we have in common is our passion for media, uh, and, and you know, in my case, podcasting, but we were both uh, doing some radio stuff uh, way back when, and, and you with the broadcasting classes and the media stuff that you do, um, I would assume that you agree with me. Not to put words in your mouth, but you know, when you talk about like steam and and sort of this new school way of thinking about school, um, I mean, it it's media arts, right? like i I appreciate um, heck, a kid says they want to become a YouTuber. I appreciate that, you know, and I, and I think that uh, more and more schools should take a page out of what you're doing. And I'm going to give a huge shout out right now to a, a good friend, Jeff Bradbury, who who is in my district doing very, you know, similar stuff, starting to do similar stuff uh, in our district at, at one of the other middle schools. And um, it's new; it's definitely new in a lot of ways. Not a lot of schools are, are doing it yet, but I think. It's important, and I think just as important as any other arts-related class. Uh, you're talking about fine arts and performing arts. I think media arts is is huge and, and really, extre- just extremely important.
1: Now, I agree, and I think it's very, I actually met with Jeff a whole bunch of times in the summer before he built his studio. The most important thing, too, is just start small and build it out. Like, don't go build at what I'm doing 13 years later because you're not going to be able to. Like, just start small, even in my own case, we started with five kids, one kid on air, one camera person, you know, one director, and then start bumping it out and, you know, and building it out. And the other point that you touched on, which I think is so important, is the World Economic Forum. They do these like top 10 lists, you know, 2015, the skills you need, 2020. Well, nine out of 10 of those skills, every single one fits perfectly into any type of media, writing, producing. Well, like I think
0: about, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because it was in the back of my head as as we were talking that uh, the 2020 or 2022, I think, uh, projected important skills. I forget what they call it, but the World Economic mm-hmm. Forum listed social influence. As a podcaster, I think about that, you know, when, when we talk about media arts and and YouTubers and and all the different social media platforms that are out there that our students are starting to get onto and, and to take advantage of. In positive ways too. Um, I think about how important it's going to be for them to understand how to truly leverage those types of media
1: yeah and I mean they're we're living in it right now with distance learning I mean the two skills that really jumped up from 2015 to 2020 number one problem-solving number two creativity went from number nine to number two in five years so I mean they're looking for people that can create things solve problems and um You know, I think the distance learning excellent part about it is this is going to be similar to what they face, you know, in the workforce, that these tools are going to be, you know, here to stay. And luckily, I also teach digital citizenship, and this isn't digital citizenship 101. This is digital citizenship authentic. You know, now you have digital equity, you have digital balance, you have uh, etiquette online, you have a bunch of privacy issues. The class that I teach in September, what kids wrote in their blogs for digital balance is now 360 degrees different than doing distance learning when, you know, they're on the device the whole time. And I think, you know, any hierarchy you look at, if you're going to create something from scratch and plan it and build it and use it and then go back and reflect on it and make it better um, is going to be a great learning model. And I know in remote learning, you know, people have come to a point where they say, you know, I'm worried about like parents doing schoolwork for kids because, you know, they're going to do the test for them. Well, then give them a problem that the parents can't do the work. Like give them a creative thing to go create, write and make and, you know, make their own and, uh, you know, do a 30, 60 second public service announcement. It doesn't have to be a big, long you know movie. And you're going to come up with all different ones. You're not going to come up with the same thing, you know, over and over. And the kids are obviously immersed in it and they have super skills you know, on their phones already. And you asked me before what I've seen change over the years. One thing is no more shaky camera work. You know, 10 years ago, a student could not hold the camera without shaking their hand, like without getting a really good camera shot. Now, 10 years later, I mean, everybody knows how to hold the camera without moving their hand. So some of those skills uh, have evolved. And the other quick thing, which... I always like to talk about is the Google applied. I can't, I'm sorry to cut topic. you off,
0: Keep hold that thought for a second. I just, it popped into my head as you were saying that, like just think now, okay, common core standards go out the window and now we have a standard for, can you hold the camera steady?
1: <laughs> well, a lot of people think, you know what, all the common core standards, other standards, maybe the standard should be, what skills do my students need in the future? And maybe if the curriculum was written off of that, which is a little bit more realistic, And again, I would start saying, like, the Google Apply curriculum started with 20 lessons, 50. I think now there's over 100 lessons for free. Every single lesson touches five or six of these future skills. That's what they're written from. And anybody could go there and use, you know, any piece of them. And I think um, places that are going to be progressive, like, that's where it's going to go. Like, do we have to have standardized testing and still do all of these skills, which might not even be modern day skills? Or do we kind of the pendulum swings to, you know what, I want my kids to know problem solving, creativity, collaboration, all these skills they're gonna need. So four years, you know, or after college, you know, eight years, whatever number of years from now, they're gonna need that in the workplace. It's not gonna be test taking. You know, you might take a test to get a certificate, but you don't take a test every week at work, but you are problem solving, collaborating like those other skills. And um, I, I could I see that change coming. And honestly, some people, distance learning, were forced into, you know, in a certain way to go towards that because if it's all digital in some places, you can't do all worksheets. You can't teach right from the book. You almost, you know, get your creative hat on to try a couple new things.
0: You know, I love what you said a, a minute ago about how now in terms of digital citizenship, let's say it's you're, you're in it, right? It's it's completely relevant right now. Um, and and I think, as you've alluded to as well, it, it's like that with so many things. Uh, you, in your case, you talked about, you know, coming on to a call, a virtual call, and you're now doing PD and you're involved in supporting educators wherever they're at, all across the country or even the world. Um that's that's relevant right now, and and it will likely stay relevant beyond this because we have the technology, we have the the means, and and right now. Uh, it, our times that we're living in necessitate those sorts of means. Um, but I do think that when we come out of this and, and educationally speaking, we'll be better for it. And I, I know that you are, are starting to work on or you're finishing work on a book that talks about some of these things too, in terms of teaching media and and that relevancy and, and how we can prepare our students for the future in that regard. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, the book really starts with a media and PLN story where the other two authors of the book are both from Indiana. i both met both of them online. One's a middle school teacher who has a TV studio, radio station, makes movies. The other one's an elementary teacher who I visited his school last year in Indiana. He has fourth and fifth graders who are doing a radio and TV show every single day. Uh, Paula Needlinger is the middle school teacher, Randy Tomes is the elementary teacher. And they asked me um, last October, would I want to be involved in this project? And similar to the conversation we had when we first came before we recorded, the first couple of meetings I had with them, we wrote nothing because we were like, use this recorder, use this microphone. You know, the three of us teach the same thing. So the book is called um, Scripted, An Educator's Guide to Media in the Classroom. It's written for every single educator, K-12. It's written by media teachers, but not just for the television production teacher. And luckily enough, um, EduMatch Publishing and Sarah Thomas picked this up in September. The whole book is written. We're at the final, final stage of having the person put it together and put the final, be the final editor of it. And hopefully in summer or early fall, um, the book will be out. And we've really thought of the book as like a recipe book of Do I want to go to the lesson plans? Do I want to go to the finance? Do I want to go to the planning? These are all of the different things that you would need to do media projects. And we really have um, honed in on the lens that it's for everyone. So if you have a Chromebook, like you're ready to go. You have a microphone, you have a camera. Again, it's like your imagination that over time we've built some of these spaces and studios, but it's really not about building a TV studio. It's more about what's the process of, you know, planning it, writing it, brainstorming it, practicing speaking skills, you know, all of those things. And, um, you know, I can't wait for it, you know, to come out. We have a website that's going to go with it. And also we have a full Wakelet site that's going to go with it with all the resources and we can keep uh, resources updated, you know, for the book as new things, uh, you know, come out. Um, so we're very excited about it, And I'm learning, you know, the life of an author that, we wrote the book in a year and we were a little bit different that we had a book written when we went to go ask people to publish it as opposed to just pitching an idea. And now we've just, you know, are learning the process of editors, other people reading it. And um, like I said, hopefully summer, early fall, the book will be out. And um, I'm excited for people to get it and say, all right, I want to do a podcast this week. I have 10 different ideas from this book. Here's a lesson plan. Here's the rubric to go with it. Here's exemplars. And you know, pick pieces of it that fit into fit into their world. And again, you don't need, especially now, which is terrific. You know, you don't need ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars to start. If you have a hundred and fifty dollar Chromebook, you have the microphone, you have the um, the, um, the speaker and the recorder on it. That that's all that you need. I mean, it's really imagination. And over time, you can grow it. Um, but you don't need a lot of finance to start. Um, you can you can start wherever you're at is basically the point. And even more so, obviously no one knew the pandemic would happen, but even more so, look how well people have adopted even to this, whether they're doing Zoom, Google Meets, Squadcast, whatever they're doing. We're getting better and better at doing this as we do it more, you know, communicating and talking to kids online. Um, so I'm excited for it to come out. I'm excited for teachers to be like you know, thank you. I use this lesson that you put, this rubric that you put in. And if they want to build the whole thing from start to scratch, then also everything that's in the book too of community building stakeholders, uh, you know, the whole nine yards is going to be there.
0: That's awesome. I'm, I'm excited for that as well. And as I alluded to before, I do think media arts is an art form and, and should be treated as such and, and included and involved more in in terms of schools and, and moving toward you know, the future and, and relevant, you know, 21st century skills, if you yeah. will. So,
1: And a really important point about the book is there is zero research in the book. Like it's, it's our personal experience, all three of us that have had different experiences, elementary, middle school, high schools of how you could do a media program. So I think teachers are really going to appreciate it because there's no studies in it. We didn't go visit other schools. Like we lived it, we did it. And we the three of us together are putting in all of our tips for if it's down to a microphone or camera to buy or how to set up your program, whatever it may be. I think it's really going to, um, you know, talk to teachers and be authentic because it will be teacher to teacher, educator to educator. And, you know, this wasn't theories of how media could work in a school. This is exactly the steps. And interestingly enough, like all three of us do things three different ways. You know, we're not a carbon copy of each other with our shows. Some are daily, some are weekly, some are biweekly. So uh, the other two teachers have radio programs through Backbone Radio. They have internet radio stations, which I don't have, you know, at my school. And like I said, the one, Randy Tomes at elementary school, I got a kick out of both of them. But when I went there last year and you see kids who are 10 or 11, just put a microphone on and headset on and they're on like the internet radio, like nothing, um, you know, is incredible, not only for the media skills you're talking about, but I think there's a big piece with like those SEL skills of you feel good, you created something, you have people listening to it. And I know in my own experience that Sometimes the kids who you don't even think who are not the most gregarious, who might be a little bit more quiet, reserved introvert, they go in front of the camera and put the light on and a lot of them really shine, you know, in this type of environment.
0: Yeah, that's true. Well, listen, man, good luck with that. And uh, I think what I'd like to do is, you know, maybe we'll we'll talk again when that book comes out. Uh, But but even in the interim, I know that there was a lot of stuff that we we didn't get to here, because I know that in addition to uh, just the media stuff you do, you you use a lot of tools and technologies and uh, that they're super relevant. Uh, you mentioned Wakelet, but but stuff that's really super relevant in, in these times, distance learning and all that. So maybe we'll catch up even between now and then. But but thanks for coming on. You know, good luck with the rest of the process in terms of getting that book published and released out there. Uh, I'll put whatever links I can in the show notes for this episode, and maybe I'll go back and, and update it even after the book comes out. But you know, I appreciate you and all the work that you're doing. And uh, yeah, just thanks for stopping by, dude.
1: No, thank you so much for having me. And you're right, that whole tech tools is a whole different show, but I would just tell people, just keep it simple. Like there's so many great tools that are free and people are offering and I think that's terrific, but just pick one screencasting tool that you might know or wanna learn and then just stay with it. Like you don't need to know all 10 you know, screencasting tools, just pick one that works for you. It doesn't matter which one, they're all great. Um, just pick that and go for it. And thanks so much, you know, for, for having me on. It was, it's always great, you know, talking education and technology and it was a ball being on with you.
0: Well, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so yet, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Also, if you enjoy the content shared on the show, Please recommend this podcast to other educators, leaders, friends, or anyone you think would love listening and learning. I would also appreciate it if you would leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or whatever podcast app you use to listen. For more information about me or this show, head over to leaderoflearning.com. While you're there, you can also find the Leader of Learning blog, how to connect on social media such as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Voxer. Sign up for our newsletter and even find out how to purchase Leader of Learning merchandise. Thanks again, and remember, no matter who you are or where you are, you too can be a Leader of Learning.